It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Boston Loose Baseball, episode 28. We are excited to give you a brand new pod today. Danny's vacation continues, so it's me and producer Darris. We're going to talk about Joey Manessis' assault on Major League Baseball. He waited 10 years to get his shot in the majors. He is making the most of it with the Nationals this week. Talk about some other things going on with the big league club, and we will dive into the minor league system, get you an update on how some of the top prospects are faring, including a conversation with Eric Bach, who's one of the broadcasters in Fredericksburg, with the Fred Nats, suddenly one of the most exciting teams, not just in the Nats system, but in minor league baseball. Uh, They've had a huge week, and James Wood is now tearing it up for the Fred Nats. We will talk to him about James Wood and Trey Lipscomb, who just debuted and hit a home run, former a top pick this past year for the Nationals and former Tennessee Volunteer. So that's all coming up on Bust and Loose Baseball, episode 28. Keep it right here. This is Bust and Loose Baseball with Grant and Danny. Interviews, analytics, and analysis on everything baseball in the nation's capital. This is episode 28 of Bustin' Loose Baseball. Eric Bach coming up to talk about the Fred Nats. We'll dive into the minor league system. Let's start at the big league level, though. It has not been fun. We know that. In fact, we chronicled how bad the series was in Philadelphia on our last podcast. But the Nats did get a win in Chicago. We are taping today as they play a day game at Wrigley Field. And by God, it's Joey Manessis' music. Joey Manessis just hit his fourth home run in seven games. In fact, I think he's gone deep now in three consecutive games, but he has played seven times since being called up from AAA Rochester, where he was terrific this year, hit 20-plus home runs in the minor leagues, and he has four bolts in seven games with the Nats. Darius, this story is awesome. He is a longtime pro who toiled in the minor leagues for a decade, played internationally, you know, went and played outside of the United States just to get a job to play at the highest level so he wasn't riding around on minor league buses. And it's been a grind for him. He played in Mexico internationally, among other stops. He's finally getting his chance on this worst team in baseball because they sold off everybody. And look at what the guy's doing. You got to love this story. You have to love stories like this. This is this is what sports is all about. When stories like this happen, this, this these are where movies come from. Movies are made from stories like this. I think it's awesome to see that he's taking advantage of this. It's actually hard to believe that many years 
playing in different minor league systems, playing overseas and things of that sort. It's it's hard to believe that he, this is where he finally gets his opportunity here in Washington. It's always cool to be able to see a story like this, especially on a struggling team. When, when, when you have a struggling team like this, you do need stories like this to kind of give you some something to look forward to. Yeah, I think what I like most about what's happening is, yes, it's fairly unsustainable and it's incredible, but it's not like he's come out of nowhere. I mean, he was their best power hitter in the minor leagues organizationally this year. Now, he's not a prospect, right? He's not a kid. This isn't a, a guy with a particularly bright future. He is 30 years old uh, this season as we sit here talking. I mean, he'll be 31 a little after opening day next year. But he had an awesome year toiling in Rochester as a 30-year-old in almost 100 games with a little over 400 plate appearances, he hit 20 home runs. He was hitting 290. He had an 830 OPS. I mean, some of these totals are the best among all the Nats minor leaguers. So if he was 22, we would be talking about this guy, even though there's not much of a defensive profile and it's kind of bad only. He's a DH type. You can play him at first and keep your fingers crossed. We'd be talking about him as a bat who could be a fixture in the big leagues for years to come. Because he's 30 and he's never gotten a shot, he's just an organizational soldier. But we were excited about just seeing him. We knew that Bell was getting traded. We knew there would be very few things to monitor and pay attention to. So it is a storyline to track. And if you tally up now the four home runs at the major league level with the 20 in the minors, he's got a chance legitimately at 30 home runs. And there was a year... You go back to 2018, so four years ago, believe it or not, when he was 26, when he was in AAA all year with the Phillies. He was at Lehigh Valley. He played 130 games, so that's legit every single day in the minors, right? And he hit 23 homers and drove in over 80 while hitting 311 with a 900 OPS almost. Like, he has done this at the highest level. He just hasn't gotten a shot. So how cool is it that he finally gets his chance and he's hitting home runs every time he turn around in the major leagues? And in a season like this where we struggle – with power overall, Any, anybody not named Juan Soto or Josh Bell uh, wasn't really hitting home runs for this team. So it's great to to have someone come up and supply some of that power uh, that we've been desperately looking for along alongside Luke Voigt, who's also been just all he does is hit bolts since he's been with us as well. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I just the home run ball chicks dig it. And so do we. We still dig it, too. Bustin' Loose Baseball digs it, too. So he is now with four home runs. K. Barrett had a two-homer game, which we'll talk about. But he is behind Ruiz by two. He's eighth on the big club this year in home runs. Think about that. Imagine that. He is tied with Luis Garcia and Victor Robles. He's surpassed. You know, Voigt's got a pair since coming over. But, you know, Adrianza didn't hit one. Alcides didn't hit one. Cesar Hernandez somehow and. 435 at bats hasn't hit one. I'm sorry, can you repeat that? I don't want to. I don't think anyone <laughs> needs me to. They might just turn off the podcast, but I'll do it anyway. 435 at bats, no homers. Uh, Juan Soto's 21 the, is the, the most for the team, and Bell had 14. No one else this year has hit more than 10 for the Nationals. So he's almost halfway to being the leader for the team among the guys that are still here and weren't traded to the Padres. It's crazy. There was a point where... Yadiel Hernandez was on a little tear. Lane Thomas was on a little bit of a tear. You thought that some of these guys would come up and have double-digit home runs, and, he, and then they just slowed down. They just stopped out of nowhere. Nelson Cruz, where is Nelson Cruz's home runs? When was the last time Nelson Cruz hit a home run? Right? It's been like 130 at bats. That is unreal. It really is. That's I mean, what they, he was brought here for. They couldn't even trade him. At the deadline, they couldn't get anything worthwhile for Nelson Cruz, so they didn't move him, which was the whole reason to bring him in. But anyways, tip of the cap and kudos, Joey Manessis, the Mexico native at 30, who has been a reason to uh, root for the Nationals and cheer and feel good about them. 
here over the last week or so. You mentioned Luke Voigt. So far, so good. I am going to do some speculating here. I would say informed speculation, only because I've talked to a lot of people around the team, but this is not something directly said to me in these words. There's just no way that he's happy to be here. But I give Luke Voigt a lot of credit. He has said the right things. He has done the right things. He has been a good soldier. And to this point, through six games, he is three for his first 20 at the plate, uh, which, excuse me, seven for his first 20 at the plate with three runs scored. So he's hitting, again, it's a small sample, but through six games, he's hitting 350 to start his time with the Nats. He's got the two home runs. His first AB was an RBI. Immediate impact. He's another guy like Manessis. He's certainly a more credentialed, better big leaguer. He, he hit 22 homers to lead the league in the pandemic-shortened year for the Yankees. But at 31 with a rebuilding team, I have no delusions of grandeur here, right? Voight is basically a DH. You have three DHs. Nelson Cruz is a DH. Manessis is a DH. Voight is a DH. I'm not sure that any of those three guys will be on this team next year. I mean, Manessis is just kind of an org soldier, take him, leave him type. Nelson Cruz will not be back. I can't imagine at his age with where they're headed or not headed, as it were. And then Voight is under team control, and so you'd have to trade him for him not to be around. I guess you could go into next season with him as your DH, and maybe there's no reason not to, especially if he finishes strong. But I love the way that he's acted, what he's said, what he's done, what he's brought to the team so far, because you know he is I – mean, that is demoralizing, dude. Like, you got traded when you weren't supposed to, to the worst team in the sport. And then we're turning on the TV and watching Soto. It's electric. They're selling out. Like, he's got to be watching Padres games when he gets home and puts his feet up in his hotel in D.C. where he's staying and think, what in the heck am I? Oh, man, this is tough. Do you think the next time he sees Eric Hosmer that they're going to fight? He should Tony Pham. <laughs> Honestly. Tony I, I am not for Will Smith or Tony Pham slapping people. I think adults should. Tommy Pham. Uh, why am I calling him Tony Pham? You're right. Tommy Pham. <laughs> he's now with the Boston Red Sox, by the way. Oh, my God. He and Eric Hosmer together in Boston. So maybe Tommy Pham will jump in on the fight somehow. I'm sure he would. If I was Luke Voigt, the next time I saw Hosmer, I would challenge him to a celebrity boxing match. I love it. You know how all these dudes are now doing these celebrity boxing matches? Like uh, Darren Williams, I think, uh, and and, uh, Frank Gore, and like Adrian Peterson's got one coming up against Le'Veon Bell. I would say let's do a celebrity boxing match because I, I hate your guts now. I'm putting my money on on Luke Voigt. Oh, Luke it's Voigt is swole. I mean, Hosmer's a big dude, too. But anyway, so far, how could you not like Luke Voigt if you're an Axe fan to this point? It's been really good. He has been really good. And I, I, I mean, with the team control, I kind of do hope that he sticks around for a while. Now, obviously, like you said, it's a small sample size of what he's done so far. Uh, but it... He showed that he has that consistent power in that year that he that those couple years that he had with the Yankees uh, in 2019 and 2020. So I I would like to see that. I think he is your typical DH type, and this team is going to need that going forward. Now that the DH is 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 here to stay in the National League. Well, typically I I would say look I'm I'm not that interested in Luke Voigt moving forward. But as bad as they are and and probably will be frankly next year. Yeah. yeah he's look at his 162 game samples in his career. He he's a over 162, he hits 32 homers and drives in 95. So what we're talking about, he's not going to play 162 in any season. I think his, his career high is 118 games. Yeah, a lot of injury in issues exactly. throughout his career. But I think he's 260, you know, 255 with 18 to 22 homers as a as a part-time DH, essentially. And if you wanted to, you don't necessarily need to platoon him, but have someone who's left-handed to hit righty some and, and spell him and have him just rake against lefties, I think you could probably do that, but... Good nonetheless to see Luke Voigt playing well also. 
Uh, I want to talk about Josiah Gray, who had a really good start against the Cubs in a moment. But let's uh, bring in Eric Bach. Let's uh, play our interview for you. He calls games in Fredericksburg for the Fred Nats and is an aficionado and a wealth of knowledge on the team's uh, successes this year and the prospects that have been there. So wanted to talk to Eric Bach about one of the most exciting teams in the Nats farm system. This was the conversation we had with him. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. See you later! Eric is with us now. Let's talk about these Fred Nats because I was just saying I think they might be the most exciting team in the entire organization at this point. What a great time for you guys at the ballpark. You guys have been getting great crowds and just got James Woods' debut, as well as Trey Lipscomb, who the team just drafted out of Tennessee as well. Yeah, no doubt about it, Grant. I mean, it's it's really – we were just talking last night how spoiled we are. I mean, we had Jeremy De La Rosa and a lot of other prospects. Obviously, we had Brady House for a while before he got hurt. Um, and, you know, from beginning to end, it's really been a really exciting season here in Fredericksburg. And, you know, I think that you know, reading the mood on Twitter and stuff among Nats fans, it's just – they're coming, and it's really it's really exciting to be in Fredericksburg right now, for sure. One of the things I would say is, frankly, the team's upper level, specifically offensively, they're basically devoid of impact bats. You know, they certainly were going into this draft and prior to the trade where they go get Abrams and put him in Rochester. But having been at Fredericksburg a ton this year, like Wilmington was pretty light, I would say. But the group that was there at the start of the year, which is going to be in Wilmington, and now adding Hassel and adding James Wood, and adding this draft class, including Elijah Green, who's going to be in Fredericksburg soon. I mean, that's where the the the, the depth of the talent is, and, and that's I think organizationally where people can get excited. So let's go through a bunch of these guys, if you don't mind. I want to start sure. with just your your first thoughts on James Wood, uh, who had a four hit game and a home run in one of his first contests in Fredericksburg, and uh, it looks like he's just a super high ceiling bat, three twenty three on the year, nine ninety six OPS this year in the minors, 19 years old, and he's huge. Yeah, no, he definitely looks apart. That game that you mentioned was his very first game as a Fred Nat. Four hits, two-run home run. And the thing that impresses me the most about him is the maturity of the bat. It's such a, it's such a smooth swing from the left side, and he uses all fields. He had two RBI-based hits last night in his home debut, both of them on breaking balls, both of them the other way. So the maturity of... You know, his command of the strike zone, he's got really good plate discipline. His body, he's got such long legs. You know, he's six foot seven, but, you know, a disproportionate amount of that height is in his legs. And you think six seven, two forty is not 
super rangy out in center field. He just glides around. I mean, he was stealing bases last night. He was going first to third on kind of if he plays. And he's just he's, – he's the full package. And, I, you know, you don't want to make Juan Soto comparisons and all that stuff because nobody is Juan Soto. But he – he looks like he could develop into somebody that could be an impact player like Soto was at the highest level. Which is the dream, right? That's the goal, and he certainly got the, the most upside of what was an incredible package of prospects they got back. Have you interacted with James Wood much yet? Yes. I Actually, the past couple of days, you know, we've had a bit of a media circus here in Fredericksburg. Uh, actually, as we speak, the Fred Nats are taking – uh, batting practice right now. I'm overlooking the field, and he's mic'd up by uh, by Fox Five. And I mean, there's he's been kind of pulled in a lot of different directions, but I have gotten to spend a little bit of time with him. That's cool. Uh, he was a DC area guy. Went to yeah. St. John's College High School, played basketball, transferred to IMG Academy to to go the baseball route, and it obviously worked out. He was the 62nd pick in the draft. Would have gone higher than that, I think, but there were some swinging miss concerns, and he's already made a swing adjustment that. You know, it's kind of cured that, and if, if he got redrafted now, he'd, he'd be a top-five pick probably in his class. What kind of guy is he? I've heard really, really good things about his makeup and the energy he brings. Like, what are your interactions with him so far telling you? He's so mentally mature for a 19-year-old. That's one thing that is super similar with him and Brady House. You talk to those two guys, you would never know how young they are. James, he's, he never gets too high, never gets too low. That's actually what Jake Lowry, our manager, said about him. I kind of asked him when he first arrived, I said, what was your initial impressions of, of James? And, and Jake gave me the old, like, flatline hand signal. Like, he never gets too high, never gets too low. He's just got a really good temperament. You know, these guys, especially these young guys, have not played every day, ever, in their lives. And it's easy to kind of spiral, I think, if, if, you know, one day doesn't go well, two days don't in a row don't go well, especially – you know, for how young they are, but he is, he's just so even keeled. He's just got the, to me, in my short time with him, the mental makeup of somebody that is going to be a successful big leaguer for sure. Yeah. I'm really, really excited to see more of him. Uh, He had a a big game, 11 runs, 14 hits on Tuesday night, part of a huge breakout offensively for the Fred Nats. And in that game, Trey Lipscomb made his debut in the organization in full season ball. He's 22 years old. He is a Frederick, Maryland guy. He was drafted this year in round three, 84th pick out of Tennessee. What can you tell people about Trey Lipscomb who went two for five with a homer in his first game? Just a lot of pop in that bat. You know, you look at him physically and you don't think this guy's a power hitter, but he's only one of two Tennessee guys in this century to hit 20 home runs in a season. So, I mean, he, He's just got a lot of pop in that bat. I just was watching him take batting practice. He hit the ball off the left field foul pole in his second swing in single A yesterday, and he did it again in batting practice today off almost the exact same swing, exact same spot. He's super rangy at third base, really good arm. But one of the telling things, I think, about his debut last night, obviously he hit that home run in the first inning, and that gets the headlines. But he had a really grinded out at bat with two outs and a runner on third in the middle innings. Got a borderline full count pitch that he just slapped to right field to drive in his fourth run of the game. And that, to me, is the maturity of of his bat. Uh, You know, the college guys look different when they show up here as far as strike zone discipline, as far as not getting themselves out. And 
that was evident just through one game for him that he's advanced at that at that part of it. Eric Bach is with us, calls Fred Nats games. He's uh, super plugged in, and I was really impressed. I got to go down and spend some time with him earlier this year, and he was helping us set up for a broadcast for 106.7 The Fan and uh, knows everything about the team and the players and is uh, the guy to, to have on when we want to talk about this ball club. Uh, I believe you're a Michigan State guy, right? You're a Spartan? Yes, sir. Go green, baby. Are they gonna? They're going to be all right this year, yeah? Yeah, I mean, overachieved to win 10 games last year in Mel Tucker's first real season. And now that got some of his own recruits in there, I mean, he utilized the transfer portal a ton. And hopefully 10 wins would be great. But uh, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm a little bit worried that the expectations are a little bit too high. They're still a couple years away from being a true national contender again, I think. But I'm makes, excited. Makes sense. Uh, Lipscomb defensively. Third base, yeah. does he stay there, do you think? What are people saying about – I mean, because everything – when I asked people around the draft time, it was bat, 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 like you figure the rest out. So is he actually a third baseman? I think so. Uh, he did make an error last night, got a really bad hop on him. The ball kind of ran up his arm. But, uh, you know, one error in one game is not indicative of the entire player. Uh, I think he could stay at third base. Um, Cortland Lawson, his college teammate and draft classmate – uh, they were the left side of the Tennessee infield in the spring, and they were the left side of the Frednet infield last night. And Lawson, to me, is the more polished defender. Lawson played shortstop and Lipscomb played third. Uh, I, I think the general consensus of everyone I've talked to is that Lipscomb's bat is ahead of Lawson's, but Lawson's glove is ahead of Lipscomb's. And that was pretty evident in their first game last night. Lawson made a couple of plus-plus strong arm defensive plays deep in the hole at shortstop to throw out some some quick guys we're playing the the Augusta Green Jackets the Braves affiliate and um he I think that Lipscomb can stick at third base you know there's always been talk about Brady House is a big guy like is he going to stay at shortstop that the Nationals want him Brady House to stay at shortstop as long as they possibly can so there's in the future, I think, an opening at third base. And uh, if Lipscomb can continue to hit, I think that he's plenty serviceable enough defensively at that position. Yeah, and you figure it out, right? I mean, sure. like if House ends up at third, it doesn't mean you're out of luck. Like Lipscomb ends up in left or whatever. You you, Like that stuff, it's a good problem to have because everyone doesn't normally pan out. And and generally, if you think you're going to have that issue when these guys are in low A or or A ball, it doesn't always – happen that way obviously you've mentioned Brady House a couple times do we know what in the heck's going on I mean it's kind of mysterious like he had a back thing I get that but they put him on the 10-day IL and then it was just like we never heard about him again is he gonna play again this season he hasn't played in weeks I this is not official of what any, I haven't heard a, a peep about him from anyone in the Washington organization so this is purely my own speculation my gut tells me no that he's not going to play again uh, this season. You know, as being as young as he is, he just turned 19 at the beginning of June. Um, he grew, like, exceptionally fast in high school, like shot up. And when you, got, when you get guys that grow that fast, that can kind of lend itself to back-slash-joint problems. And I think they're just being overly cautious. Brady went down to Florida. I think he's been, you know, rehabbing, training there. And uh, unless – my gut tells me that maybe he could play, but that the Nationals are not going to push him because, you know, obviously his back is 
really valuable to this organization in the next few years, right? Yeah, there's no doubt about that. All right, so we'll keep an eye on that. But I just, I hadn't heard an update, right? I mean, and I get in the minor leagues, it's not like there's a a bunch of beat reporters that follow the team around and talk to the managers every day. But it's just odd that, you know, you put him on the IL kind of, a couple weeks later, people notice he's not playing, and, and next thing you know, it's it's been two months. Uh, so we'll continue to monitor that. Uh, all right, back to the guys that are playing right now for the team that you're calling games for night in and night out. Will Frizzell, uh, you can tell oh, me if I'm gosh. saying it wrong, but this dude, so he's an eighth-round pick out of Texas A&M, and I think just based on his college profile is probably advanced even for this level, but they started him in the FCL, and he was hitting like 440. They bumped him to Fredericksburg. You guys have called now 11 of his games, about 50 at-bats. He's hitting about 350. Uh, nobody can get this guy out. No. Two home runs last night, four for four with a walk. I mean, last night was his best game here in the Carolina League. But to me, his bat is even more advanced. It's too advanced for this league. Uh, his he, he has, I have yet to see him in 50 at-bats get himself out chasing a pitch that he should not be chasing. And that is... That's the biggest kind of hurdle that these young guys at this level, I think, have to clear is, is establishing their own strike zone discipline and hitting their pitch. Even, even if it's taking an occasional strike, if it's not a pitch that they can do something with, then, you know, they're letting it go by. And, and Frizzell, um, he's just – he's super advanced to me. He's, he's a really impressive guy. He kind of came out of nowhere, actually – that was one of the home run calls last night. I said, where have you been, Will Frizzell? Like, nobody's been talking about this guy. And you said it, Grant. His college profile in the SEC, I mean, he raked in the SEC. He's raked in his professional career so far. My, my intuition, and again, nothing has been told to me about this, is that he, he probably should be in Harrisburg, frankly, the way that his, his bat is to me. And his glove is plus, so you can put him at first base. He's been about 50-50 playing first and DHing for us because we have Brandon Bossier, the Nationals, Nationals' third rounder in 2021, getting the majority of the first base reps. So he's mainly DHing, but, I mean, he's a serviceable first baseman, and he's a guy that I think needs to be in Harrisburg sooner rather than later. Yeah, he's one of those guys where you, you see him play at these levels. To your point, you go, okay, it's, he needs to be bumped up to be challenged. But the reason maybe he's not a great prospect, he goes in the eighth round, whatever, is it's not like there's a, a huge defensive ceiling there. And generally, if you're a first base only type, you know that kind of comes with being downgraded just on a prospect or draft scale as it is, right? So you're not up the sure. middle. There's less value. He's massive, though. I think he isn't he six five two thirty or something like that. Mm, I. I wouldn't say he's six five two thirty. I would put him at about the six three range. I can't. I don't have a roster for him. I mean, he's, he's listed six five two twenty five. Yeah, you're gonna that go might under. Be a little, that might be a little generous. I would put him at six three around two twenty five. But either way, I mean, he's a physically imposing presence in the box. Yeah, and he's he's just a, a left handed bat that again sprays the ball like he hits for like he's hit four home runs for us. Two of them to the pole field. Two of them one of them to dead center field off the batter's eye wow. in Kinston last week. And then the other one was, uh, was the opposite way. So, I mean, he sprays the ball. He, he hits every pitch. He, he hits fastballs. He hits breaking balls. He walks a lot. He doesn't punch out a whole lot. So, I mean, basically he checks all the boxes of the plate. Speaking of walking a lot, Brandon Bossier has 
walked 53 times in 73 games as one of the better walk rates, I think, in, in the system at this point. Hitting only 240, and he really has not shown much power at all this year. But as you said, he was a high pick. This is a third-round pick out of Arizona that they liked a lot last year. I think he was just outside of the top 80 in the draft. So this is a player that they need to to get some production out of. Uh, 22 years old in Fredericksburg right now. How has his season gone? The numbers are deceptive. He's been a lot better than the numbers have shown. He's had some unbelievably terrible luck He's of balls that he's just crushed right at people, especially over the past couple of weeks. He's been on actually 18 times in his last nine games. So he's been getting on base a lot. You mentioned the walk number. That's a big reason why he's got great discipline. I mean, he led the Pac-12 in hits as a sophomore and led Arizona to Omaha in his sophomore year. That was the second time they'd ever been. So, I mean, this guy can play. And he's he was an outfielder for the most most of his amateur career. And they have... He played a little bit of first base at his end, the end of his time in Arizona, but he's been exclusively a first baseman here in Fredericksburg. He's really good with the glove. Like, you would never know that he's not like a quote-unquote natural first baseman. And the bat's coming along. I mean, there have been dry stretches for him. But, you know, he came out after his sophomore year. And um, But the number – he has been better than the numbers indicate, in my, in my opinion. Another guy that I like a lot, prospect lists don't generally have this guy very high up for the Nats. I just was kind of messing around and put together my own top 15 the other day, and I had this guy in the back end of it. I really like the tools for T.J. White. Another thing that's interesting to me is he's young, right? A lot of the guys I'm talking to you about are 22 or even 23 that are having Mm -hmm. this success. He's 19 years old. And he's been in Fredericksburg all year for 250 ABs. He's shown a little bit of power. He's got seven homers. He can run a little bit. And he's got a handful of steals. He's got a 750 OPS. Has not been dominant by any means, but he's kind of held his own. What have you seen from TJ White, who just seems like a really toolsy, upside-type outfielder for me? Well, Grant, when he started, and now we've got a little bit of turnover, but for the first half of the season, TJ was the youngest player in the Carolina League. So just keep that in mind. Um, he just turned 19 at the end of July. He was 18 for, you know, the better part of the first three months of the season. The month of June, if you look at his splits, his month of June was about the best month that anyone on this team all season long has had. I think he hit about 337 in that month with power. He's also a switch hitter, too. And he obviously the majority of his at-bats have come against righties, so there's a lot larger sample size on the left side as opposed to the right. But... I think the switch hitting piece of it is uh, is something that people overlook. Like you, he's not going to be able to he's going to be able to stay in the lineup against lefties or righties, and he's actually was naturally uh, a right-handed swinger. And he told me that he decided he saw Jason Hayward. He grew, he moved family moved around a lot when he was young and. He went to a Braves day, spent some time in the Atlanta area, went to a Braves game, saw Jason Hayward swinging from the left side when he was about seven years old, right? Does that make you feel old? It made me feel old. And yeah, I'm about to turn 24 and that made me like super feel super old. But, um, but he said he saw Jason Hayward swinging lefty and he said, dad, I want to do that. His, His dad, Torrential boss white was a basketball legend at Wofford. Um, it's a really athletic family and a really great family, but TJ, he he has been as you maybe would expect from the youngest player in the Carolina League, super streaky. His 
his highs have been as high as anyone in the league, but his lows have been pretty low too. So, you know, he'll, he'll figure out some consistency as he matures and gets older. I think he's definitely a viable prospect for the Nationals. Yeah, I just like the idea of, you mentioned 18 at the beginning of the year, but 18-19 in Fredericksburg, you know, just feels different than 22 or 23, right? And when, when you're that young and having some success, you mentioned a month that kind of stood out to me, it shows that there is a starter kit there that, that could be nice. Uh, speaking of, you know, the veteran guys on the team, Jacob Young, the Florida product, who was a seventh-round pick. I like the speed. I don't know. I'd imagine he's a good defender just based on you know the, the profile and, and the fact that he runs well, but I don't think he's a ton. You know, you'd tell me if I'm wrong. I, I don't see him as a big time prospect, but maybe kind of like an Andrew Stevenson when they were winning the World Series. You know, give you some speed, give you some defense type. Is that about right? He's oh, played every day for you guys. Absolutely, and he's now he was playing right field every day when De La Rosa was here before he got promoted, and then. In the interim between De La Rosa being promoted and the Juan Soto trade, he was playing center field, and he is as good of a defender as there is. I mean, his he could play he could play for the Big Nats right now in D.C. defensively. Like that's how good he is defensively, and he scored 89 runs. Grant, he's he's wow. been his number. He has the second most runs scored in professional baseball, and number one is a guy by the name of Aaron Judge. So it's <laughs> that's insane, Aaron Judge. Jacob Young, that's the way. And he hits 240. Uh, I know. He, he gets on base a ton, and when he gets on base, I think he's about 38, 39 steals. Uh, he just, he's a guy that makes things happen. And, you know, he, he, he's had some more bad luck, too, as far as, uh, you know, lineouts and a couple of questionable calls have gone against him and all that sort of thing. You know, umpiring at the single-A level is questionable at best. But, um he is the table setter for this lineup, and he is the big reason why this team in general has been successful. I know that you know winning at the minor league level is nice, but it's about developing prospects. But I mean, we've got a five and a half game lead here in the Carolina League North Division in the second half, and he's been as big a part of that as anyone's, both offensively setting the table and defensively. If you guys are listening in the Fredericksburg area, you should get out to a game. It's a beautiful ballpark. I take the kids all the time because my daughter's obsessed with the mascot. Gus is the Gus. man. Uh, he's a super, you know, nightmare fuel for me, but she just can't get enough of him. And she has a bobblehead and all kinds of stuff. And he's nice. He, he hugs her and dances with her and, and they have a good time. But I like, going you know, the story behind the him, right? He's, I don't, he's George Washington's imaginary friend. That's what he's supposed to be. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense, but that's hilarious. That's great. Yeah. Right. So that's yeah. George Washington's imaginary friend is Gus. Yes. That is the, uh, that's all right. the story behind Gus. Yeah. Yep. He, if you got Google him right now, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen him, Gus is the man. I really like he that is. guy, and he's just he's, yeah. he's, he's my my uh, daughter calls him a mascot. That's her word for mascots. But he's he is her favorite mascot at this point. He has surpassed Screech. Uh, but it's it is it's a great ballpark. It's cheap ticket, and it's you're right there on the field. And right now the talent is really legit in the second year of ball there in Fredericksburg. If you can't go, just listen to the the minor league play by play feed. Uh, to Eric and the crew on the call. They do a really good job. All right, how about um, – I, I just got to ask you about a couple of arms, even though they weren't relevant necessarily to the last couple of days. Sure. Uh, Jackson Rutledge has been on a bit of a roll, which they need. He's 23. Yeah. He was a first-round pick way back in 19. So I get that you know someone cynical could be saying, wait a second, we're talking about A-ball and first-round pick a few years ago. But here's the deal, man. I mean, he throws gas. He's massive. Mm-hmm. 
I know he's uh, it's a 290 average against this year, but you got to tell me, like the last couple starts, do they look different? Because the line and just listening to you guys, he's not giving up runs or hits like he was, at least in those two outings. No, no. and early in the season, he was the definition of feast or famine. It would be seven shutout innings or an inning and two-thirds with eight earned. Like, there was no in-between. And now he's, he's found he's – found, his last two starts have been phenomenal. He went eight innings here in his last home start against a Salem Red Sox team who, in my view, the Salem team outside of Fredericksburg is the best offense in the Carolina League. Um, they had Marcelo Meyer and Blaze Jordan, two top Boston prospects who have since been promoted in the last week or so. But uh, he did that against an offense that's, that's strong top to bottom, eight innings, one run, and then five shutout innings in his last start on the road. Um, what he has been able to do, in my opinion, is find he's got to be okay with going five innings and giving up two earned runs. Like, if he can do that a little bit more consistently and have his seven shutout inning start, have his eight-inning one-run start, he's just – he let things snowball, especially on the road early in the season, but he really has stayed the course. There is nobody that works harder behind the scenes. When he's not pitching, he's, he's working with the strength guys. He's, he's putting a lot of sweat equity into his career. And I, I, he's the best guy. He's one of my favorites in the clubhouse. And I'm just really, really rooting for him because the talent is there. I mean, it's 99 pretty consistently with late break on a sinker and The the key to me for him has been, is the sinker good or is it just okay? Because if it's good, then there's a lot of really soft contact, a lot of ground balls, just like a a sinker baller should be. And if it's not, it's pretty straight and the ball kind of flies. So the past three or four weeks, the sinker has been really good, a lot of late movement, and he's worked in the curveball and obviously mixed in the fastball as well. But if he can get that sinker consistently good, I think I still think that the Nationals will get what they hoped for out of Jackson Rutledge, maybe even though it might be later than they would have wished. Well, look, but that's fine. I mean, if it takes a little while, but he ends up being a high-end Jacob starter. DeGrom for the- made his major league debut at 26. Yeah. You know, like, and now he's been the best pitcher in baseball for the past three or four years. So these, these no, there's no blueprint for especially with starting pitchers, there's no blueprint for how quickly or slowly it's going to go. Yeah, it's not a race, yeah. Uh, Andrew Lara, last guy I'll ask you about because I know you got sure. better things to do as you prep for your game. Um, he's got a high ERA in 18 starts, but that's not always telling. He's got more strikeouts, 82, than innings pitch, 78, and more strikeouts than hits allowed. Those are the types of things that are indicative to me of stuff. You know, 250 mm-hmm. average against is respectable, but but not great. But again, this is a teenager. This is a 19-year-old in Fredericksburg, which I grade on a curve, and I kind of feel really good about that when you're holding your own in that way. What do you think? I think that he has been not nearly as consistent as they would have hoped he would be. But again, 19, you know, he his last two starts have been really good. And when Andre has gotten himself in trouble has been when he's walked people. It's like it's a pretty – remarkable if you look at his lines when he's walked people he's been not very good when he hasn't he's been pretty good and the pattern for him especially in the middle of the season was two walks and then one big hit two more walks one big hit people weren't stringing together hits against him 
he, he was really hurting himself with with a lack of command. And when when he if he can just hone that in again, nineteen years old, he's going to be able to hone the command in. I think I I'm higher on Rutledge than I am on Lara, but I still think as as you said, Grant, the stuff is as nasty as there is. He's just got to find some consistency and command in the strike zone because when he commands the strike zone, the stuff there's no nobody that has better stuff, and there's really uh, you can count on one hand probably the guys that have more raw talent than that guy. There are other players that have been through Fredericksburg this year that we won't have time to ask you about. Uh, De La Rosa, who's been terrific now in Wilmington, obviously. Sammy Infante, 16 home runs. Uh, one of the highest totals other than Joey Manessis now in the entire organization. Uh, so maybe we'll circle back to those guys down the road. Can't keep you forever. But I really, really appreciate it. And I'm pumped for you guys because last year, I know you weren't there yet, but a little bit of a grind for the fans in Fredericksburg as they got everything off the ground. But this is now like must-see, must-listen stuff, and you guys are getting great crowds. It's a good time to be out at the ballpark down there. Yeah, things are humming along, both from a baseball standpoint and an organizational standpoint. It, it really is. You, you said it. If there's, We have 17 regular season home games left, including tonight. So the time is ticking to come see the Fred Nats, and I would highly encourage you to come out of the ballpark or subscribe to MILB-TV for, I believe it's 9 bucks a month. Is that all it is now? Nine bucks? Come on, people! Well, it, it's fifty bucks for the whole year. If you right. buy it in April, it's even less than that. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and the the audio the that's just for the video broadcasts. Our radio broadcasts are free. So. Yeah, you can listen to those any day. Uh, but yeah, you any day. Check them out. I mean, it's worth watching these guys, especially with uh, the way things are trending at the major league level for sure. Hey, Eric, I Absolutely. really appreciate the time. Thank you, man, and uh, have a great call as you guys continue here. Appreciate the time, Grant. Thanks for having me on. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Long gone! That was great. Good nuggets there from Eric Bach on the Fred Nats as we can uh, dive into now some of these affiliates below the big leagues over the next few weeks. So obviously Robert Hassel was assigned to Wilmington with the Blue Rocks as we tape on Wednesday. He's still 0 for his time in the organization. I think he's like 0 for 16 since getting traded. Not worrisome or alarming or anything, but you know, that's a tough transition for him coming over to a new organization and trying to impress right away. But he's at A+. plus. Uh, we saw Yarlan Susana make his debut, and Yarlan Susana touched 102 miles an hour in two innings with four strikeouts in the Complex League on Tuesday, which was pretty cool to see. He gave up a run and a hit. And then in that same game in the Complex League in the FCL, Elijah Green, who was the fifth pick this year for the Nationals, four at-bats, a home run. And three strikeouts, one for four, 
but he homered in his first ever game. There was a great video his dad posted on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, his dad was really excited. It was a really cool moment. I, I think this is an awesome time for being able to keep up with these minor league players. I, I've, this has got to be the most fun that we're going to have uh, since we're not going to have much fun watching the major league team. I was going to say, it's pretty much all we got, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's exciting to be able to keep up with some of these guys and see how they do, and, and, and hopefully we'll see some of them very, very soon. Nelson Cruz, my God, he just got a base hit in real life as we're taping this podcast. Was it more than a single, though? It was not. It was a single, but I, I, beggars can't be choosers, man. I'm just happy the guy got on base. I wanted to talk about Josiah Gray, his Wednesday outing against the Cubs. Pitched into the seventh, six and one-third innings. I was actually hoping that he got to finish the inning. I thought it was six and two-thirds. I thought he was an out away from getting out of the seventh. Maybe Savant's wrong here. Um, but regardless, uh, seven hits, two runs, five strikeouts, and no walks for Josiah Gray. Early in the game, a couple of times in the first inning, went to a three-ball count, was able to get a punch out or get an out, which was uh, good to see. But Josiah Gray, not the high-volume strikeouts, swings, and misses that you're used to. In fact, in the start, he only had eight swings and misses. But if you're going to pitch to a little more contact and get weak contact, especially when you're going up against a bad team, which the Cubs are, and not a particularly great lineup, like don't be afraid. Just throw strikes, get the ball over the plate. You don't need to strike out 10. You don't need to come out of the game where I'm tweeting about your swing and miss percentage on your curveball or your slider. I mean, who gives a darn about that? Get deep into the game and, and don't give up home runs by getting barreled in the middle of the plate. And he only allowed the one solo shot. The other of the runs he got charged was on a runner that he left on that Steve Ciszek inherited and promptly allowed to score. But, uh, man, did he need that. I mean, it would have been a rough go of it for him. Where is he at now as far as home runs given up? Because last we checked, it was he was leading the league, correct? I would be surprised. I'm going to pull it up right now. I believe he's still dead last. Or, or I guess the better way to say it would be that he leads the league in home runs allowed. Yeah, 28 he's given up. So that's the most among pitchers. Yeah, it sucks. Because he was definitely close to getting through the seventh. And then he, yeah, he gave up that home run to Nico Horner. Uh, the only one he's given up of the game, though, so. Yeah, progress. E- I guess. ERA <laughs> drops from four nine to four eight on the year. His FIP is over five. Obviously, look if if he's able though to keep the ball in the park moving forward, and it's not going to happen constantly like that, or at least just the home runs or solo home runs, you can live with that. The stuff is that good. I still feel pretty good about that trade. I mean, I saw a lot of people this week all of a sudden kind of jumping on the they got not enough for Turner bandwagon. Kbert Ruiz, I feel great about second among all catchers in the number of guys that he's had. Thrown out on base. Uh, you've seen him homer three times in his last 18 at-bats after homering just three times in his first 300 at-bats this year. You know, the power will come with him. I believe that. But you have a good defensive, very solid catcher who's got a chance to hit 270 with some, you know, 15, 18 home run power at the big league level. Uh, bottom line to me, Max was a rental. You weren't going to get a ton back for him. So you throw him into a deal where basically you traded a year and a half of Turner, who was going to walk at the end of this year anyway. He would have just been moved at this deadline with a half year left. He would have gotten less. And the same thing I say about the Soto trade, Darius. It's not like I wanted to trade Soto. I didn't want to trade Trey. Obviously, keeping Soto is better than what you got or or keeping Trey is better than what you got if those guys are going to be around. But when they're not around, then the time to move them is now. And you're going to have six years of Kbert Ruiz and six years, I think, of Gray as a a third starter type for you. And maybe he ends up a four if it doesn't work out and doesn't develop a changeup or something. But We've seen that this is the makings to me. Yes, it, 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 there are there are lumps. It's not always pretty. It's not lights out for him. But but these people that are like down on him as if he's not a, a major league starter for a, a first division team, I just disagree. Like this is not. 
I watch him and I don't see what I saw when Eric Fetty was his age. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is better than that. And I'm surprised to see so many people are down on him after what has been a rough stretch here. Yeah, and you're right. There's been a lot of those uh, people throwing out full stat lines from their season so far, their time with the Nationals so far. I kind of get the 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 overreaction to Josiah Gray. I, I don't like the overreaction to jo- Josiah Gray, but I get it. When you're watching this guy constantly give up so many home runs, sure, you're going to feel bad about you're it. You're annoyed. First. Right, yeah, you're going to be annoyed, exactly. Uh, I don't get being disappointed at all by Cabert Ruiz. I think we should love everything that we've seen from Cabert Ruiz, aside from the lack of power. People have to realize the catcher position, it's not often you get an offensive powerhouse at the catcher position. Not everybody can be Buster Posey. You know, or it, it doesn't often often happen like that. So to be able to get somebody who's been as stellar defensively as he is, has has been so far, throwing runners out second to JT Real Muto, who is constantly a Gold Glover, I I, I don't understand the being down on Kbert Ruiz at all. Yeah, I guess it's just he's hitting two forty five without power, and people are like ah, I thought he was going to be an all star. And my my point is, it's early, people. I mean, he's twenty four. You know, same with Josiah Gray. I was talking to someone today. Who's a, who, I mean, this guy is a mark. He watches every game, every inning. Like, he doesn't miss a thing. He knows his stuff. And he is kind of out slash down on not only the trade, but on Josiah. And he's like, ah, I just, no, it's not from. And I'm like, he's like, I thought he was supposed to be a star. I'm like, he's 24, dude. <laughs> this takes a little bit of time. Like, go back. Look at some of the, the great pitchers in the game when they were 24. I mean, we're talking about. How many big league innings for him right now? Less than 200 still, I would say. So it's it's he's not even a full big league season yet into his career. So relax. Let, let's just all just see what happens here and yeah. give it a little bit of time. But I get it. I get the frustration. I understand. Uh, this is not a fun time <laughs> to be a Nats fan at the big league level. Yeah. Uh, Grant, I do want to follow up on something. You talked about last podcast. We were talking about Patrick Corbin a lot and, and what the Nats should do with him since then. Uh, David Martinez announced that they are going to be skipping his next start. Uh, how, how much do you think this is going to help? Can't hurt. Yeah. You know, to me, this is the equivalent of kind of like the IL, except that you're essentially just burning a roster spot for a little while. I really am surprised, honestly, that if they're skipping a start, they didn't IL him and just give him a chance. Well, it turns out, I believe his next start would have been Friday, but we have an off day on Thursday, so he's using so, this off day as basically a, a, a route a reset. to be able to skip yeah. his start. So no one is going to pitch on different days rest. No. But, mm-hmm. I, but I guess my point is just logically, if they're skipping a start and giving him a reset, they could have just put him on the IL and called up a reliever. This overworked bullpen, partially because of him, <laughs> that can't get outs now and is really struggling, which had been good because... Honestly, these guys are all fatigued. So, like, I would have probably just brought somebody up and, and I held him. Having said that, I, skipping him is, makes sense. Like, what you couldn't do, in my opinion, was just have him pitch again after a four days off. Like, we, we were past that. And especially against the Padres, my God. You can't have Josh Bell and Juan Soto going deep against that guy on oh, Friday night. Oh, man. <laughs> Speaking of which, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Soto and Bell coming back. It's here. The time is here. I don't know how I'm going to feel. I mean, I know I'm going to feel. I'm going to be watching my ex-girlfriend look gorgeous in my favorite dress that she wears. But uh, it's going to be a long weekend. It's funny you say that. I'm supposed to to hang out with some buddies on Friday night, and uh, 
one of them, I, I, they were asking, you know, hey, what time are you coming through? I said, well, I think I'm going to stay around for the for the game because I want to see Juan Soto get his uh, standing ovation and, you know, see a couple of bats of Juan Soto here in a different uniform, uh, you know, and be sad about that. And <laughs> one of my buddies responds, that's like going to your ex-girlfriend's birthday party a week after y'all break up. Quite literally is. The only thing I would add to that, though, is that her birthday party, for some reason, is at your house. (laughs) Like, you you can't avoid it because you're just a block away where you work and you go to—we're probably going to be—actually, I know we are broadcasting from the ballpark that day. We will be there. Come by and say hi. Like, what on earth, man? What are we doing here, Harry? All right, that will do it for Bustin' Loose Baseball. We're back next week. Danny will return, so we appreciate everybody checking us out. If anything crazy happens, we'll do an emergency pod for you. Uh, before early next week, but episode 28 in the books. Appreciate everybody listening. Please spread the word and and let people know that this podcast exists. We want to grow this thing as best we can, and we we want people who uh, care about the Nationals to know that we are here and providing twice-a-week podcasts at least for them. So thank you so much, and we will talk with you next week.